If you have a copy of the scriptures, we're in Mark 5. I don't know about you, but um, already I have loved um, the songs we're singing together and the flow of what's happening in worship. The ways in which God is stirring. Hey, Bill, I want you to go ahead to the other step. So we're in Mark chapter 5. There's a, there's a story that's in there. I'm not actually going to read the passage today. Uh, I sent it to you through the week. Hopefully you got a copy of that and had a chance to read it together. Several of you haven't. I know that's all right. You're going you're gonna to catch up with us quickly, I promise. If you don't get that email and you'd like that email, we try each week to kind of prep you for what's happening. Um, call the office or let us know and we'll make sure that we get you on that so that you get that and some announcements. Uh, but we're in Mark chapter 5. It's a, it's a story that has become for me over the last many years one of my favorites. It's an incredible story of a woman. Starting in verse 25, we find this story of this woman who... Based on all we can understand in the story was desperate. She was walking through incredible suffering and pain. The passage tells us that she had been bleeding. Bleeding for 12 years. And we don't get a lot of details as to, to what might have been going on or exactly what the situation is. All we can do is assume what the issue was. And most who try to do so, most who make an assumption, assume that she had some type of menstrual disorder that had caused her to bleed persistently for 12 years. There's no doubt that it was embarrassing to her. But it also brought with it public shame. It wasn't something that she could handle behind closed doors or she could handle on her own. This was made into a public issue because their understanding of what it meant that she was bleeding is that that she was also made unclean. She was an unclean person. And because she was unclean, she couldn't be touched. Because if someone touched her, they too would become unclean. But it it stretched even further than that. Not only could she not be touched, someone couldn't touch the clothes that she had worn while she was bleeding or they would be made unclean. No one could sit in the chair that she had sat in or they would be made unclean. No one could approach the bed that she had slept in or they would be made unclean. This woman was completely unapproachable. And their understanding and their reality of what was going on protecting the clean was way more important than anything that was going on with the unclean. Protecting her, thinking of her, valuing her was not in any way considered in the same way that protecting the clean was. So the solution to such a problem, to someone being unclean and staying this way for a long period of time, was to banish them from the community. It was to tell this woman that for her own good and for the good of her loved ones and for the good of the whole, that she should go away from everyone else, that she should be removed. So she was no longer welcome to come to the synagogue and worship. 
She was no longer welcome in her own home because if she was there, she would make others unclean. She was no longer welcome in any of the spaces that she had known, in any of the spaces she had lived in, in any of the spaces that she had come in and out of before this issue began to exist. And we can only guess at the multitude of realities that this, that this banishment, that this separation brought on her. She'd been married. It's quite possible that her husband had grown tired of waiting and abandoned her. If she had children, she couldn't have touched them. She couldn't have been around them. She couldn't have even sent them a gift. Because doing so would have required that she touched it. And then when they touched it, her children would have been made unclean. You see, the only way to treat something that had become unclean after someone unclean had touched it was was to burn it. So she was completely separated. She was an outcast. She was completely alone. On top of this, and in comparison, much easier for her to wrestle with, would have been all the physical ramifications that would have come with what was happening all the time. She she probably would have found herself weak, always. Consistent bleeding does that to a person. She was quite possibly anemic. It's easy to assume medically that if she exerted excess energy doing anything, she quite possibly would have fainted. All of these realities that would have come into play with this reality of suffering, with this reality of blood, with this reality of of, of bleeding that had taken place. Life for her, just, just living, just continuing to go forward was incredibly difficult. But doing so alone for the last 12 years was unbearable. She mightest, she might as well have been dead. The story gives us reason to assume that she had probably tried every option for treatment that was available. In verse 26, it says she'd suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she'd spent everything she had to pay them. But she'd gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. There's no telling the multitude of options that she had attempted in order to get well, in order to get this removed, in order to be healed, in order to get back into the community. There's, there's no telling. They're not listed. They're not described. I assume as I think about this idea of, of every option of the suffering that she walked through, that they might be using the term doctors even a little bit loosely. Perhaps some of them were doctors. They were some kind of medical professional of the day. But I suspect that also some of them... Would have been non-medical professionals. Witch doctors. Those who came up with all kinds of prescriptions for how she might get well if she would do the right thing. If she would follow the right treatment. If she would follow the right plan. One of them that I read about is the possibility that she had been encouraged to carry a burnt ostrich egg wrapped in burlap in her pocket. Because somehow that was going to bring healing. It sounds preposterous, doesn't it? 
And yet that one, not actually difficult. But the passage says that she suffered. Not just that she'd walked through many options, but that she'd suffered. And not only had she not gotten better, she had gotten worse. These options that they used were probably painful, embarrassing, demoralizing, apparently expensive. It says she'd used every dollar she had in order to pay for these opportunities to get well again. Then Mark's story tells us that she learned about a new possibility. We could see in the ways that she responded to it that this new possibility was terrifying to her. She'd heard about this rabbi, this healer, this Messiah who was going around preaching good news and healing people who were sick. And she wondered, could he possibly heal me too? However, she knew that she couldn't go to him. And she knew there's no way that he would come to her. She couldn't be out in public, so she couldn't approach him. And, and surely he wasn't going to knowingly make himself unclean. Not a rabbi, not a, not a religious healer like this one. There's no way that he would come and take on this great risk. There was no way for her to get to him. And yet she had to try. She had to find a way. The process would not have been easy. All of the things that she had to think about, that she had to attempt, that she had to worry about in the process of this. If if you remember, I said she, she was weak because of what had gone on. Her body was weak and frail. She struggled with exertion and the idea of needing to to push her way through the crowds which she'd heard would have been there. How would she possibly make her way up without fainting along the way or getting so weak that she could never make it? And she's processing through the consequences of what happens if she get caught, gets caught because the consequences were dire. The treatment that would have come to someone who was unclean, infecting, making others unclean, damaging the clean in such a way. There was no tolerance for such a thing. And yet she had to find a way. She had to find a way to get there, but she couldn't get caught. I'm not certain why, but as I imagine this story, I imagine a small woman. As I try and and get an image of what might be happening, I imagine her hunched over, feeble, weak, from the years of suffering and the years of difficulty, from the lack of, of exercise and movement of things that she would have been limited on. I imagine this, this, this small, hunched over, frail woman. As I imagine the situation of what's going on, I imagine her covered 
but not conspicuously. She, she wanted to hide herself. She wanted to not be recognized. Many might not have even recognized her after 12 years, but she wanted to be certain. And yet she didn't want to draw attention to herself. So she didn't want to be covered in ways that they would notice or they would go, hey, what's going on with this woman? She wanted to almost appear as a ghost among the crowd. She wanted to be able to drift in and out without being recognized, without being seen, without being noticed. As she had to think about fighting her way through, she had to think about the people that she would move and squeeze underneath and squeeze around and yet trying to do so in a way that that they wouldn't feel bumped or moved or pushed aside, that they wouldn't be distracted, that they wouldn't look and go, hey, what are you doing? Where are you trying to get? You know how that can happen as, as children or people try and squeeze through and we wonder, what's going on? What are you thinking? Where are you going? She couldn't be noticed. She couldn't be caught. She had to find her way through. All of this had to be done cautiously, methodically. Secretly. As she thought about what was coming, she she knew I, I she didn't even have to talk to Jesus. For that matter, she wasn't even concerned with seeing him that much. If she could only get close to him, the things that she'd heard, the stories that she'd been told, perhaps he had enough power in him that if she could just get close, if she could just touch his cloak, that would be enough. She knew she didn't want to be seen by him. If she could just get close enough to reach out and drag her finger across the hem. Some wonder if there were tassels. If she could just trickle her fingers through those tassels on the rope. He'd never know. He'd never see her. He'd never feel her. And then she could fall back into the crowd. Unseen, undetected. Obviously, we don't have all of these details, but as I try and play the story out in my mind, that, that's what I see, that's what I imagine. That was the plan, and all of it was going so well. And then Jesus stopped. Mark tells us that she was healed immediately. Immediately she could feel in her body that something had changed. Something had, had happened. Instantly everything was made new. It stopped her in her tracks. It hindered her getaway as she wasn't sure where to go or what to do. She didn't expect it to happen quite this way. But Jesus also felt something. He realized that power had gone out is what the story tells us. Something miraculous had just taken place. So he turned to find the, the, the culprit. The victim, the recipient, what should we call her? Soon, Jesus will call her something, but first, he had to find her. He had to find who was it, where was she, and he asked this question, who touched my robe? I, I love this one. I love the thought of the disciples in this moment. I, I believe that they had all kinds of responses as they look at Jesus and they go, are you kidding? What do you mean who touched you? Do you see all these people? They're surrounding us. They're everywhere. They're bumping into all of us. I, I imagine these, these two that they called the sons of thunder going, yeah, and we're getting a little bit tired of it. If they would just stop pressing up on us so much. Jesus, are you crazy? What do you mean who touched 
you. He says, no, 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 no. Hold on. This, this, this was different. Who was it? And there was nothing she could do. There was nowhere she could go. There was no way to get away. She knew what had just happened in her body. She could feel it. So the story says that she came back and that she fell on her knees. I wonder if, if, if she would have been unwilling to look him in the face. As I imagine the story, her head is down as she falls on her knees, as she falls still before him. You see, in their understanding, even though the blood had stopped, she was still unclean. The way that the rules worked, the way that the policy worked, the way that they understood it is that for several days afterwards, she would remain unclean. So still Still in this moment, anyone that touched her, anyone that was near her, was still made unclean. She came back and she fell before him. No idea what he was about to do to her. Every possible punishment of what could happen, of what they could do, of what he could do. I imagine running through her brain as she's thinking, what is about to happen to me? She told him her story. She told them what had taken place, and we don't see all the details, but we see that she came back, and on her knees, she told him what she'd done. And again, I have to imagine some of this, but I imagine all of this with her head down, shame. And I I want to believe with all of my heart that as she finished telling her story, That Jesus reached down and he placed his hand under her chin. And that he raised up her head. And he wanted to make sure that his eyes could meet hers. Before he spoke the words that we find in verse 34. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Daughter. No one had called her such a loving term in more than a decade. No one had shown her this much love in years. No one had shown her any form of compassion as she had walked through all of this difficulty and all of this suffering. No one had been willing to use a term or to touch her or to engage her in such a way that included her. She was the outcast. She was the unclean. She was the unwelcome one. But Jesus made her well once again. Jesus made her whole once again. Jesus welcomed her in. He healed her body. He healed her broken heart. And then he called her daughter. Valley. Jesus is in the business of healing the broken. Jesus is in the business of healing broken bodies and broken souls, broken minds and broken relationships, broken lives and broken people. Those that no one else could heal, could heal. Jesus is in the business of bringing healing even in those situations. For you and for me, Jesus wants to take what is our darkest secret, what is our deepest pain, our ugliest sin... And transform them into something new. N.T. Wright, the great New Testament scholar, writes this. Was it Jesus' power that rescued the woman or her own faith? 
Now, now, obviously, as we ask that question, we know it had to be the power of Jesus that healed her, right? She'd had faith before. She had faith in other options. She'd had faith in other things that she'd tried. She had believed that those things would work also. And yet Jesus said her faith had made her well. Wright goes on to say, the answer must be that faith, though itself is powerless, is the channel through which Jesus Power can work. Faith had fueled the power of Jesus. Faith had become the pathway so that the power, the ability, the Holy Spirit in him could move from him through her cloak or through his cloak into her hand, through her body to the very ailments that had caused her pain, to all the suffering that was taking place, the ailments that were physical and emotional and mental and spiritual. The power had rushed to them because of her faith. And made her well. And if all of this wasn't already enough, we get to find out the reason that Jesus stopped and had to find her. The reason that Jesus was looking for her. He wasn't looking for the culprit who had stolen from him some kind of power. He wasn't even looking for the victim, the recipient who had received this miraculous change. Jesus stopped. Jesus looked. Jesus had to find this woman because Jesus wasn't finished yet. The bleeding had stopped. But Jesus wanted to do more. Jesus wanted to give her more. Jesus wanted to see even more from her faith than he had already seen. So we don't only see Jesus testify to the healing that had taken place, but Jesus actually speaks more to this woman in verse 34. We didn't read the whole thing, but the rest of it, it says this. It says, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Friends, our Savior desires to do more than healing our past pains. Our Savior desires to do even more than bring hope to the hopeless. Desires to do way more than simply restoring. Jesus didn't only want to bring this woman back to community. He also wanted to send her out transformed. You see, restoration would have brought her back to the life that she'd experienced, back to where she'd been 12 years ago. And Jesus wanted more than where she had been 12 years ago. Jesus wanted to call her into a brand new life. Not just back to that, but into something new, into something different, into something transformed and something changed. But getting there would require even more faith of her. She trusted Jesus to get this far. Now she would have to trust Jesus in order to find this new and transformed way of living. Now she would have to trust Jesus in order to find the peace that he was calling her into. Now she would have to trust Jesus in order to walk forward and truly be a woman who was suffering no more. 
Now, sometimes we make this mistake of reading Bible stories and assuming, oh, wow, what a beautiful thing. It must have been so easy, so incredible for her just to move into new life. But there was nothing easy about what she had been called into. There was nothing easy about what she'd walked through or the idea of new life that she'd been called into. This ailment, this story that we read about, it doesn't give us details, but it had cost her much more than you or I have ever even imagined before. What if, what if she had been abandoned by a husband? A husband who legally had every right to leave her behind and move on to a new wife and to a new family. What if her children were now forever gone? They hadn't seen her, they hadn't been around her in 12 years. I wonder if it's possible that this, this ailment, this, this bleeding that we're told she suffered may have even come from a disastrous experience in childbirth. If, if she lost a baby in that moment, and rather than being able to suffer or grieve, she was immediately cast out. There's no telling what friends she'd lost favor, the list of things that she quite likely will never, ever get back is long. Hard to imagine, hard to think through. But this pain, this scar, this, this ailment, this brokenness would forever mark and forever change who she was. And the same is true of our deepest heartaches, isn't it? The same is true of our deepest pains, of our deepest loss. There are some among us, some in this room, who have had hopes or dreams lost. Because an illness changed your body in ways that you never expected and therefore couldn't continue to do what you'd hoped you might be able to do. There are people in this room who have lost loved ones because an illness took them from you far sooner than you imagined possible. There are relationships that have been lost by people in this room because of circumstances that you couldn't do anything about, things that you couldn't have changed in any way. It was beyond your control. Each of you can imagine the personal pains and the sufferings. You can remember, you could tell the stories of the heartache or the heartbreak or the suffering or the disaster or the trial that you've walked through and the ways in which it has affected you. Even as a body, even as a church, as, as Valley, we too can talk about our suffering. We can talk about our griefs and our pain. We have stories that over the last 20 years have broken some of us. We have lost friends. We have lost loved ones. We've watched as our church has been changed in ways that we never imagined. Ways in which we've seen decline take place and things that have hurt us deeply. 
Some of you have been hurt in ways that, that are unimaginable. You have shed tears. You have lost things that will never, ever be restored. And I don't want us to make the mistake of believing that this story, or for that matter, any story in the scriptures, says that that we should overlook these pains. That we should pretend that they didn't happen, that we should forget them, that we should move past them without ever thinking about them. That is never, ever, ever the call of scriptures. Your pain, our pain, is real. It is difficult, it is painful, it is miserable. And for many of us, it still is. You are still in the midst of your pain and your suffering, of your despair and your grief. And I want to make sure that you hear me say, I do not want to simply wash that away. But also, hear me say, Jesus wants to bring us healing. Jesus wants to bring us Transformation. Jesus wants to bring us back from what we've walked through, what we've suffered through, the pain that we've experienced, and then drive us forward into new life. Jesus wants to look each and every one of us in the eyes and remind us, you are loved. You are wanted. You are desirable. And then he wants to send us forward in peace. And then he wants to send us forward and give us the courage to leave our suffering behind. Not to forget it, not to pretend it isn't there, but to leave our ongoing suffering behind. Can you imagine this woman a decade from this story? Can you imagine the multitude of ways she would have gone, could have gone, what could have happened, the things that could have changed? We have to imagine because we never get to see it in the story. But nowhere in my mind can I imagine that 10 years down the road she's going, oh, those 12 years in which I bled. No. She has been called to a new life, to a brand new way of living, to a new way of faith that leaves behind the suffering, that leaves behind the pain, that calls her into peace and suffering no more. Friends, Jesus wants to send you and me and us into a brand new way of life, into a brand new way of living. Friend, Jesus is willing to heal your suffering through your faith. And to give you a chance for new life through your faith. Valley, Jesus desires to heal our suffering through our faith. And to offer us a chance for new life through that same faith. So today we are left with the questions. Today we're left with the option, will you choose new life? Will we choose new life?
What would it look like? If today, each of us were to choose to walk forward into new life. To choose peace, to leave behind the suffering and to choose to have faith in Christ. Christ that can heal and Christ that has offered us a new way of living. What would it look like? What would it change? We'll talk more about it next week, all right? Pray with me, would you? Jesus, heal us. Jesus, heal us. Holy Spirit, come and move and fall fresh on us in new and transforming ways. Heal our brokenness, our broken bodies and our broken minds, our broken souls, our broken relationships, our broken families, our broken hearts. God, heal us today. And as you do so, make it clear that you have called us into transformation. You are not calling us back into anything. You are calling us forward into brand new life. So Jesus, heal the brokenness of our past. The brokenness of yesterday, the brokenness of last month or last year, the brokenness of 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 80 years ago. Heal the brokenness and call us forward. Give us faith to release your power of healing and to release your power of transformation that brings us new life. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we ask these things. Amen. Church, we want to sing some songs of worship together, giving you some moments to continue to wrestle with the story of the Scripture, with the calling of Christ on your life. As we think about this time, I want to invite you to do two things. The first is to spend some moment in reflection. Some moment listening to the voice of God. Some moment listening to the call of Christ. What is it that Jesus longs to heal you from? What is it that Jesus longs to make new inside of you? I want to invite you to, to reflect, to think, to, to, to look back on those things, those ailments, those pains, that brokenness that has kept you from walking forward. As you reflect, I also invite you to, to listen to what name Jesus is calling you. He called the woman daughter. What is it that Jesus is speaking over you, reminding you that you are loved, that you are wanted, you are desirable, you are a precious creation? So first, spend some time reflecting. Listen to the voice of God. Listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks directly to your soul. And then we invite you to respond. To somehow move in what God is doing or saying or calling. Perhaps you need to come and confess. 
to confess a grudge that you have held on to, to confess a way in which you have refused healing, to, way, to, to confess a way in perhaps, that perhaps you have not been faithful. You're welcome to come here to the altar and pray. You're welcome to come and to grab me or Callie. We would love to pray with you and for you. Maybe your response is just to get on your knees and pray out to God. Maybe your response is to to stand and sing songs of worship because Jesus is bringing you healing and calling you into new life. All of these, any of these are appropriate, but we invite you to reflect and then to respond in whatever way is best. This morning, we're going to do something slightly different. In that Cal and I will be here, but we're, we're not always looking towards you. But today we will. Today we'll be here and we want to make sure that you know we are here and we are available. If you need us to pray with you or for you, come and let us do so. Use this time to listen to the voice of God and respond to that calling.